Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist. I'd like to welcome you to episode 87 of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with my good friend and colleague Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive, literally going into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic each week. I think you'll find it's not only a fascinating exploration of compliance into the weeds, but also a lot of fun. Today, I have a real treat for you because Matt and I are on location at Kendall Square in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and we take up the issue of what's the compliance response to continuing trade, export control, and other foreign business issues raised by the Trump administration. We look at how trade and compliance are impacted by the Trump administration with its uh, starting of trade wars with various U.S. trading partners over, over out, outside the United States. And what's the compliance response? It's a fascinating exploration. It's great to be on site with Matt in Cambridge. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. All right, we're rolling. So, hello everyone, this is Tom Fox and Matt Kelly, and as you may tell, this is a live recording of Compliance Into the Weeds. Matt, you want to tell our audience where we're at today? Absolutely, yes. So we are in lovely Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, We are in Kendall Square, if any of you know the area. It is across the street from MIT. And uh, just out in front of us in the square is some sort of farmer's market, so we see all sorts of very nice overpriced artisan um, things, from cotton-made t-shirts to candies to I don't know what else, but we are here to talk about ethics and compliance. So Matt, I find this sighting particularly appropriate for today's topic because we're really going to focus on a blog post that you put up today, which I thought really articulated some of the business issues and the compliance issues with the actions of the current administration. So you want to set the stage for us? Yeah, sure. So I wrote this post about corporate ethics and the Trump administration and politics. And basically, this is another one of my uh, posts where I have no good news for compliance officers because this is a mess. And I really was thinking about it last week with the crisis of the um, immigrant families and the detention policy and the family breakups that the Trump administration was doing, where we had this really ferocious battle on social media over if this was a core value of the country or not. And corporate America was stuck right in the middle of it, which is not at all where corporate America wants to be. But uh, we had airlines like Southwest and American. I know they were saying that they were publicly encouraging ICE agents not to use their airlines to transport migrant children. Uh, There is some group online that has compiled a Google spreadsheet of companies working with the administration on detention. Uh, They might be running facilities or shipping migrants around or anything like that. So they've compiled a database. Anyone can see it. I have a link to it on my blog post. And they have also posted the contact information for executives at those companies. So you can harass them about how dare you cooperate if that's what you want. Um, And then to cap it off, over the weekend, we had the Homeland Security Secretary, Kristen Nielsen, get heckled and chased out of a Mexican restaurant while she was having dinner. And then uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders invited to leave a restaurant where she was trying to have dinner in suburban Virginia. Like, just this awful clash of business objectives, corporate values, common sense, and political agendas that 
really are a toxic brew nobody likes. So that's that's where we are today. So let me back up a minute to a post you wrote, uh, I think in early uh, 2017, uh, where basically I th- it was along the lines of uh, Trump risk is now a thing. Not the Cohen risk, but the Trump risk. And mm. you talked about it in the context of companies actually having to uh, put that uh, as a uh, disclosed risk uh, in their uh, securities filings. Uh, when you did that, you uh, identified a few companies who'd done that. You identified yeah. the reasons uh, because the potential volatility in the industry they were in that would lead to uh, uh, an increase or, or decrease in risk, which they could simply not ascertain at that point. Um, we are way past that. Oh, yeah. We absolutely. Are, we, are, we are to the point now where it's not that you can't anticipate a risk. It is you have no idea from day to day what is a risk. That is very true. And I think, you know, one important thing to keep in mind is that we live in a highly organizable society these days. Thanks to Twitter. Thanks to everything being tracked. Thank you, everything being searchable. So it is very easy for anybody who doesn't like what you're doing to organize against you. So right now, certainly it's lots of people organizing against companies. How dare you work with the Trump administration? On the other hand, there are going to be plenty of other people who will say, how dare you throw Sarah Huckabee Sanders out of a restaurant? Or how dare this company be politically correct or not? There's going to be competing views of political correctness. But the ease with which people can whip up on social media and bring that pressure to bear because your company is somehow affiliated or not with the Trump administration. And so last week we saw a lot of articles saying this is a heightened era of reputational risk. Well, like that's not news. And that is important to remember that we saw this very first happen within days of the Trump administration with that travel ban on Muslims that was proposed, and that caught Uber flat-footed. Um, We saw it again with the Charlottesville protest with the white supremacists that the president failed to denounce, and that led to CEOs abandoning his advisory councils. Like, this is not new. This is not a bug in the Trump administration. This is the feature of the Trump administration in corporate America. Um, So they really have a damned if you do, damned if you don't position. And I was more interested in why this is so difficult and is this going to be reduced and I don't think it is but you know that that's what's going on so you've uh, articulated and and talked about it and in your blog post spoke about the uh, reputational damage and the response in the United States, but we haven't even gotten to the international scene, yep. where the tariffs, where the tit-for-tat, where the trade war, uh, where uh, the prohibition of Chinese or potential uh, foreign companies investing in certain U.S. companies deemed to be national security interests could throw uh, an entire new uh, damper on international trade and business. How can a company's set of cultural values or ethical values help them even begin to navigate any of this? I don't know. And I here's the reason why I think companies are in such a bind today. Like, why did this not happen as much in the Obama administration? Why not in the Bush administration, which was almost as incompetent and in many ways similar to the Trump administration, it's certainly on its political agenda. But here's some statistics to think about. This is from 2016 that the counties in the United States, Hillary Clinton won, accounted for 64% of the GDP of this country. At the same time, they also accounted for roughly 55% of the population. So roughly 
177 million Americans live in areas Hillary Clinton won two years ago, compared to Donald Trump, who only had about 146 million people in counties that voted for him. We have never actually had this before, where the president has not won a majority of the population. Like, most Americans live in places that don't support him. And really, when you get into it, and if we want to get into it, we can, um, there are systemic flaws in this political process right now that a majority of America does not agree with Donald Trump. It does not agree with Republicans in Congress, but they are in power anyways. The difficulty for companies is that this political majority that is out of power is also the economic majority in this country. And they have more and more tools to express their frustration economically rather than politically because that's going nowhere. That's a dead end at the moment. So they've got nothing else to do. They've got to find some other target. They can pressure companies to cut the Trump administration off. That is why this is this fight that's happening today. And I, I don't know when that's going to change. Um, there are some other implications we could think about, but fundamentally it is just that the economic forces of this country are out of alignment with the political structures or the political forces that are in power in Washington. And that's that's why we have this tension. So let me take up one point from the historical perspective, because I've had to take a look at this recently. From the uh, 1848 election up till 1850, there was no single candidate who received a majority vote. Yeah. They were all uh, less than majority elections, uh, obviously because of the issue of slavery, but the uh, split uh, in the multiple political parties, the end of the Whig Party, the rise of the Republican Party. But in 1876, uh, Ruther B. Hayes defeated Samuel Tilton with Le- Tilden with less than one uh, majority vote. Uh, in fact, uh, Tilden had more. So we actually have had that instance. But what we haven't had is this complete fracturing of the uh, uh, of the country around these issues and. What uh, I'm beginning to uh, uh, wonder is if businesses are now in the position where they have to make a stand, is that either going to change the political view or is it going to cleave us the other way, where we start to uh, uh, bifurcate along uh, business lines as well? I don't know, and I I hope that we don't bifurcate along business lines, and I hope, I, I'm sure, CEOs do not want to see that, because that's just a headache nobody would like. Um, but you can't dismiss it that there are going to be, you know, redhead restaurants are for Democrats and Chick-fil-A's are for Republicans, because Chick-fil-A is aligned with conservative politicians, and the redhead woman was who kicked out uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders seems to be a more of a sympathetic to d- Democrats. Like, that's ridiculous and it's sad if we get to that Um, I would actually also point out because some people might remember that in the year 2000 George Bush won the presidency with a slim minority of the vote Um, he had about half a million votes less than Al Gore but the counties that voted for George Bush accounted for a majority of the population anyways so Donald Trump lost by millions of votes and the counties that voted for him just aren't as many as the counties that did not vote for him. And even if, I, I looked at 25 wealthiest companies in the United States right now based on market cap. Out of the 25, 16 are in states that supported Hillary Clinton. But even the other nine, well, they're in states like Texas, they're in Georgia, they're in Pennsylvania. 
but specifically they're in Atlanta, they're in Houston, they're in Philadelphia. So these companies are also around areas that typically did vote for Hillary Clinton in larger numbers than elsewhere. Um, so across the board, corporations and I mean I hate to say it but the corporate elites like they generally are sympathetic to uh, they're not sympathetic to Donald Trump and his agenda I won't say who they may or may not be sympathetic to that's open to debate but they do not want this they do not want restrictive trade they do not want restrictions on immigration I think a lot of his social issues like this is the last thing that they need because they just want to do business and make their numbers and arguments over abortion or gay rights is not really something they want to get into but we're here and I don't know when we're we're going to get out. So on the uh, the question of uh, potential damage, I was interested to read in the Houston Business Journal of all places uh, today that they posted an article that there was fear that Houston would lose out now because they actually have children's detention centers in Houston and that that would identify Houston as a place businesses and people, in fact, did not want to be. But how do you begin to, can you even assess the contracts you have that would put you at risk? Uh, if you are an airline, do you have to look at your overall contract with the federal government to transport employees, uh, federal government employees, and see whether that's going to include others, whoever others might be? I think that is something that you're going to have to think about. Um, I could foresee, actually, a problem with that something compliance officers should think about is let's say six months from now Democrats take either House of Congress which is a very plausible thing to posit right now um, the Democrats are going to investigate all of this this stuff is going to come out and they're going to be investigating conflicts of interest. They're going to be investigating um, political payoffs through dark money. They're going to be investigating potential document destruction. That's something that was floating around the EPA with Scott Pruitt today. Um, so even if what your company has done with the Trump administration is not illegal, nonetheless, it's going to be out there. And that gets back to we live in a highly organizable society, so who cares that it's not illegal? If it's perfectly legal, but the public doesn't like it anyways, and the Democrats dump it all out into the public realm for everybody to dissect, do you really want that? Compliance officers might advise their boards to think about how would we face any public scrutiny working with the Trump administration under a democratic regime that has much more intent to get to the bottom of the corruption that's around the Trump administration. Um, you know, I think as citizens, we might be wondering, Trump critics certainly would say, is the Trump administration really that heartless? And if you're a critic, of course you're going to say that. Compliance officers, you have a more important question. Is the Trump administration really that incompetent? Yes, they are. They're going to have conflicts that are going to get investigated, that are going to get posted and disclosed. They're going to have donations that show up and it's going to look bad and it's not going to pass the smell test. And are you going to be part of that stink? That's what companies will want to think about and try and get ahead of because that could be coming in a matter of months. So obviously, Michael Cohen's been in the news. You wrote about Cohen risk is a thing. Uh, we both talked about Cohen risk. Uh, and my hope would be that because of yours, your writing, perhaps our podcast, and a whole lot of other people, companies are now looking at whether they have uh, utilized Mr. Cohen in any ways. Yeah. But that only uh, that extends to really anyone in the Trump orbit, uh, way beyond uh, Ivanka, Jared Kushner, uh, the immediate uh, friends, family, and business associates, to those he's been friends with in New York, anyone that would try to 
utilize a relationship to get influence or even an audience with the president. Yes, it, absolutely. And you're going to have to think about this. Is you know, if your one of your company's third parties is the Trump administration or anybody affiliated with. Donald Trump, the Trump Organization, the inner sanctum of Donald Trump Jr. and the other son, Eric, and uh, Ivanka Trump, like all of this could become a jump ball next year, and it could lead to some really difficult situations for some companies. So, you know, you have to think about things like document management, your analytics ability, um, I think policy management to make sure that one part of the company isn't taking some political act some way while another one is doing the opposite. At the very least, regardless of what political stance you might want to align with, make sure it's one stance and not, you know, you don't look like the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Um, for consumer-facing companies, that could be a big deal. I was struck by companies like Amazon and Microsoft where their employees are in revolt that their products might be used by the Trump administration. And let's not sugarcoat it. Those companies are in a really difficult position because what are you going to do? Fire your brain trust that's developing the intellectual property for the future? They're not going to care. They're going to get recruiters getting them a new job before they reach the exit. So you're stuck with these companies. They are the, these employees. They're the future. You have to respect them. And they are not shy about articulating very difficult, pointed political points of view that corporations would prefer not to have these discussions, but here they are. What do you do if you're a massively facing consumer company, like a Starbucks, like a McDonald's, like a, you name the company, where your business model is both company stores, which you have a fair amount of, um, of control over, but also a franchise operation or yeah. a licensee operation. How do you... Uh, police that? I don't know off the top of my head. I do think that's the situation with the Red Hen restaurants. Um, we do not have them here in New England. I'm not familiar with Red Hen and how it's structured, but yes, you know, you could certainly have the corporate parent say one thing, but an independent franchisee might want to do something else, and um, you're going to have to think about how do we have the policy? What is our policy? How much freedom do we want to give these people? Um, what do we want to put in a contract? How are we going to verify it? What do we do when somebody does something anyways and it's shotgunned on social media? You're going to need these rapid responses that I think there'll be a lot of coordination between the PR crisis communication wings and the compliance and legal teams crafting policies to make sure that when somebody goes off plan and it becomes an issue, you know how to handle it, you know how to find out about it before, or at least as quickly as possible, before it spirals out of control on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. So in terms of uh, a response after it's out of the bag, uh, do you bring in your corporate compliance program like Starbucks did uh, to provide some type of training, sensitivity training, where they had the uh, racial issue in uh, Philadelphia? Is that even analogous to this? Or are we really in uncharted waters? I, I think it is. Uh, well, it, yes, I think it is because, again, they're... The idea of um, racial stereotyping has become a political football, and there are certain parts of the country now that think this is not nearly as big of a deal as other parts of the country think it is. And um, you know, I I don't necessarily know how companies are going to get ahead of this. It's easy to say proper training, but the quote from the red hen person. Let me see if I can call it up because I love what she said, and I think a lot of CEOs would agree with it. Um, she had said, I have it here, I'm not a huge fan of confrontation. I have a business, and I want the business to thrive. 
this feels like, let me make sure I have it, this feels like the moment in our democracy when people have to make uncomfortable actions and decisions to uphold their morals. Like all of these nice feel-good moments we have about corporate ethics and the mission statements that hang up in the break rooms, like companies are going to have to think about how much do we really put that into practice and how much do we do that specifically around our association with third parties, including potentially the third party being the federal government of the United States under President Trump. It's a really difficult place. So in terms of the uh, international aspects of this, is there really anything um, a company can do to try to ameliorate this, uh, either to an overseas market or to an overseas regulator? Or are you really left at the whims of whichever uh, you know, uh, dip whole country the uh, the president goes after this week? Well, you know, I, I think to a certain extent, yes. And I think, for better or worse, I don't know if this comes off as too flippant or not. I think a lot of what the president says doesn't really matter. Um, when he shoots his mouth off about any particular thing on Twitter, he usually doesn't know what he's talking about. He usually isn't going to think about it all that much. He just, he strikes a couple of key chords. Um, a lot of it around anti-immigrant and a lot of it flirting with white, white nationalism and evangelical nationalism. Um, I think a lot of overseas audiences are just going to collectively lump the U.S. together as they're crazy these days. I'm not sure I would disagree with them on that. But I have overseas friends who have said, basically, you guys all seem to need to get yourselves unscrewed out of the bent position that you're in. They're not wrong to say that. I just don't know what that, how we're going to get through that process. Um, you know, on regulatory issues like tariffs, I mean, that's a little bit beyond what we're talking about here, but that's really going to be a very valid concern for a lot of companies. Harley-Davidson today filed a disclosure that the steel tariffs are going to cost it an extra $100 million, so it is moving jobs out of the U.S. to Europe to avoid the tariffs, which is exactly what the Trump administration said would not happen, but of course it was going to happen. And now I'm sure Harley-Davidson will have some people saying they're unpatriotic. It's also just common sense business. Well, in, in terms of Harley-Davidson, the point that intrigued me was not only the one you raised about the steel tariffs, but the uh, retaliatory tariffs that hit Harley-Davidson for shipping its bikes to Europe because of the uh, tariffs Trump had put in place, so that uh, part of Harley-Davidson's reasoning was they could claim they were European manufactured so to avoid U.S. tariffs. It makes perfect sense from there. I mean, you know, as much as we like to say that corporations are people, too, that's just that's not actually true. Corporations are economic entities, and they always act in the most efficient way possible. So what else was Harley-Davidson going to do? It's a perfectly reasonable thing. A corporation is not patriotic. A corporation is just a business. So when you have these free trade issues, uh, which we could do a whole other separate podcast on it, maybe we should, it's really going to get messy. Because the people who work for corporations are people, and they are patriotic, and they're going to have different views. But you know, Yet again, it is the Trump administration dragging a majority of America to places it does not want to go, and it is stuck trying to live with the consequences. Well, Matt, this has been a fascinating exploration on our first, uh, I guess we've had other live podcasts at uh, at uh, SCCE, but uh, certainly our first live podcast in Cambridge. It's been a lot of fun. Well, thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you haven't ever given us a review on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would do so, if you've listened to this podcast on that format, as would help get the word out about this most unique podcast, which takes a deep dive weekly into a compliance or compliance-related topic. 
Also, if you have any questions, you can email me at m or Matt rather at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks again for listening this week, and I hope you'll join us again next week where Matt and I take a deep dive into another compliance-related issue. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.